Immigrant Nation, another week, another new episode. As always, it's great to have you back for another episode. And I appreciate your company and the time you spend with me. If you've missed any of the previous episodes, don't worry. An Immigrant's Life is accessible wherever you get your podcasts, including on YouTube. Feel free to subscribe and listen to some of our amazing stories of extraordinary people. And if you could leave a review and give it a five-star rating, that would be greatly appreciated as it helps us reach more listeners. For those who want more on Immigrants Live content, we have social media accounts where you can connect with me directly. My handle is at an immigrants life. You can also send me an email at animmigrantslife at yahoo.com if you just want to chat or if you want to come on the podcast or if you know someone that wants to come on the podcast to tell their amazing stories. All right? That's where the best way to contact me. We have an amazing episode today, so I'm going to skip the personal update and let's get into the episode. In this episode, our guest, an orthopedic nurse and active content creator, shares insight into the impact of his online presence, particularly on TikTok. Through this exposure, he reflects on the true nature of his support system, separating genuine supporters and prompting introspection on, into his purpose. In a candid discussion, he shares opinions on various topics, including physical therapy versus chiropractic practices, the body positivity movement, and the carnivore diet. He explores fasting's positive effect and his ideal diet, balancing his belief in science with his faith. This episode offers a journey of insights and reflection, and I learned so much from this episode, just in science and just being a creator myself. And I'm Really, really excited for you to listen to it. So let's get to it, right? Without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is an orthopedic nurse practitioner that is the most handsome and intelligent <laughs> micro-influencer you'll ever meet. Everyone, please welcome John Kim. Hello, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. For sure, man. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. I know you're a big time now. You know, you're, a mic- you're an influencer <laughs> now. Definitely not. <laughs> By the way, just for the listeners, uh, I'm calling him micro-influencer because apparently his wife called him micro-influencer. <laughs> I know. Solid nickname now. Solid nickname. What, were you trying to like... Um, work with the hotel or what was she trying to do uh yeah so she was just trying to we were on our way to cancun and she was seeing if uh we can collaborate with the hotel as a influencer but instead of saying influencer she just said micro influencer (laughs) so i just poked fun and said no need to say micro let them make the definition of what (laughs) micro and macro is but that was funny games. They gave us free champagne, so it worked out. That's cool. But it's so it's so funny that your wife just like put the word micro, you know. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, before we go on and talk about amazing stuff, why don't you tell the immigrant nation where they can reach you or if you want to promote anything? Yeah, I have nothing to really promote. Um 
I think if you ever go on my social media page on Instagram and TikTok, it's the John Hong Kim. And the whole purpose of the page is to just share unbiased health information just to mm -hmm. help promote optimal health. And so that's really what I just try to focus on. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. And uh, I just try to share what I believe is true, optimal health for your mind, spiritually, physically, mentally. So uh, if you want to check that out. Oh, very funny, dude. You, your skits. <laughs> yeah, I love your skits. Just, yeah, they're just for fun. <laughs> do you plan it out or do you write it out? How do you do your skits? No, you know, I think what's awesome about the content world is people just pick out ideas from other people. And so I get inspiration just from watching other videos, watching other creators, but yeah, it really is more spontaneous. Not, I don't just sit there and write out what I'm going to do just because I'm a family man too. I have a full-time job. So this is all just for fun and games. And so whether I get like one view or some of them do go viral, it really doesn't matter to me. It's just for fun. Mm. I enjoy doing it. I love that. I love that perspective. When you started, you know, video recording yourself, did you get any grief from your family and friends? Yeah, I think uh, when you expose yourself in that way, um, there's always this sense of like, oh, people are going to make fun of me. Um, my reputation is going to be different. But I think when I committed to this, my mentality was, you know, do it for yourself. Don't care about what other people think. Because at the end of the day, if you enjoy doing it, you're passionate about doing it, that's all that matters. And, you know, it's sad. I've seen, you know, old friends unfollow me because they don't want to see my videos or they see that I was building traction. And so you see who really supports you and who really doesn't support you through it all too. Um, so it opened my eyes in many different ways, but I think it also just putting yourself out there, it helps build character as well. So I, I just, I enjoy doing it. Yeah, it's, it's scary. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like when I remember the, my first episode, I was shaking, like literally shaking while i was recording you know and it's hard it's it i just what i just thought of was like this is what i want to do i don't care what happens you exactly know? i think you just got to take that leap of faith if it's um you have a vision and the purpose with it um there are always going to be haters but then you also find uh, very strong supporters through it all and so i've had some amazing comments i've had some negative feedback but i think I just learn from that and try to grow from it. And I just take everything with humility. Like, again, I'm just your average Joe, like you're <laughs> a micro influencer, right? And uh, <laughs> I think at the end of the day, what I try to stress out stress is if one person can take control of their health just from one of my health videos, then, you know, it's worth it to me. So I, I feel like if I can make a difference in a person's life here and there, then uh, I'm fulfilling my purpose. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with the the hate or the negative comments? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you just can't let it get to you because you can write anything you want behind a computer. Um, and, you know, haters at the end of the day, they just want to get an expression out of you or a response from you. I think if you don't feed it, then they can't do anything. You, you don't give them any kind of advantage at all. So I see it. I ignore it. Um, 
it doesn't bother me. Obviously, if it was like personal friends who are doing it, it'd be different. But if it's strangers attacking me, you know, they don't know who I am. They don't know my purpose and all this. And so I just, I ignore it. Hmm, I love that. Tell us about your background, where you grew up, your childhood. Yeah, so my parents are Korean. Um, my dad's actually a pastor. So they were immigrants from South Korea. They moved here to America, obviously, just like any immigrant family for the American dream, for more opportunity. So I was born in Chicago, and I lived there all the way till sixth grade. And then I moved to St. Louis because my dad started a church in St. Louis. And so my middle school, high school years, I was in St. Louis. And then I went to the University of Illinois, studied nursing. And then I worked in the hospital for a couple of years and then went back to grad school to become a nurse practitioner. And later on, I went to get my doctorate in nurse practitioner as well. And then now I teach at the University of Illinois and I work full time uh, at this clinic called Christie Clinic Sports Medicine Orthopedics. Mm. So you, so you're a professor at the university? Yeah, so I'm just an adjunct instructor. So I teach mm. a lab. Uh, I used to do a little bit more, but uh, time wise, I just don't have much time. But so I'm affiliated with the University of Illinois Nursing mm. Program. Mm. You mentioned that your dad started a church. I find that interesting. Like, did you just move there and said? I'm going to start the church and just start calling people. How does it, how does so, one start a church? Yeah. In Chicago, um, after he finished seminary, he basically started a church, like a family church where like cousins, family members all joined. And then by word of mouth, people started coming. Uh, so that's how he built up his church in Chicago. And then in St. Louis, uh, one of the pastors left and, they had heard about my dad and so they um, asked him if he would be willing to move and to take on the pastoral role hmm. in St. Louis. Is it, what kind of church is it, by the way? Uh, Korean speaking, um, we're Presbyterian. He's now retired, so he's now a missionary in Seattle, but um, it's Korean speaking adult congregation and then you got like the uh, 1.5 generation kids where, you know, you have, they speak Konglish, so part Korean, part <laughs> English. Um, so the youth group and Sunday school was uh, a hybrid, a mix of people who spoke English and Korean. Mm. How was it growing up a son of a pastor? Yeah, I think um, a lot of eyes are on you, um, right? Uh, reputation really matters. And so, I think growing up, there's a lot of pressure to just morally look good on the outside. And I think statistically, if you look at a lot of these pastors' kids, uh, they end up growing up very rebellious because of that. But I think my mom and dad just did a great job at raising us and just stressing to just be who you are, just really work hard. And, you know, don't, again, I think this theme of don't care about what other people think, like you do you. I think in the Asian culture, there's always a lot of comparing, like, why aren't you like so-and-so? Why can't you be as talented? But my parents never stressed that. They just stressed, um, you know, be faithful to your calling, be faithful to God, be who you are, and, you know, God will take care of the rest. Hmm. I guess we, you're always at the church, eh? Yeah, so even um, on campus here, I'm, I'm heavily involved in the leadership at our church, and 
Um, even in my in some of my videos, I try to mix in some spirituality here and there just to um, show who I really am. Hmm. Does that get traction more or do you get more negative comments with that? Uh, you know, it's, it's hit or miss. I think overall people respect uh, as long as it's not being shoved down people's throats. They respect, uh, you know, if you're passionate about a religion or uh, if you have a spiritual purpose. So I think in general, it's been mostly positive feedback. Mm -hmm. Nursing is difficult. What made you decide to take on that career path? Yeah, uh, I think for me, I've always wanted to do something where it can make an impact in people's lives. Um, I never saw myself like, oh, because I was thinking about finance for a while and I, that was actually my initial major. But I couldn't see myself for my whole life sitting at a desk on the computer, really not making an impact in people's lives, maybe yeah, in their financial aspirations or whatnot. But I think as a nurse, because um, I've been in the hospital a couple of times for like, you know, orthopedic surgeries, I've tore my meniscus in my knee, I've had ankle surgery. And I think the impact like even good nurses made on me, it made me realize like, oh, you can really make a difference in people's lives holistically just by being a compassionate nurse. And uh, I think for me, I just don't think there's any other calling as great as a healthcare provider because you are really there at people's lowest points of their lives. And so I think just the opportunity to make a difference really uh, inspired me to go into healthcare. Hmm. Why did you choose nursing over being a doctor? Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting when I first um, even considered going into nursing, my roommate at the time uh, was in pre-nursing and this was like 10 plus years ago when I don't know if you saw Meet the Parents, but there's, it was very stereotypical <laughs> for men to go in nursing. And so mm -hmm. even when I talked to him, I was like, oh, I didn't know males actually go into nursing um, because I was also thinking about physical therapy at the time. But I think for me, even when I look back at the times when I was in the hospital, it was the nurses that I built a relationship with, like the doctor would be in and out. They would just check up on me and they're like, okay, you're good. So I would never, it was very superficial, but the nurses, it was much deeper relationship. And even as I got to know my roommate, I could tell he was a very uh, passionate, compassionate man. But what's funny is, like eventually he actually changed his major to business right when I went into nursing school. No so, way, you guys yeah, traded. It, yeah, it just, we just traded. And then, um, you know, I just stayed committed to it. And, mm. you know, I have absolutely no regrets now. Mm. Did your parents say any comment about you transferring from finance to nursing? Yeah, no, I think, um, as I shared before, all they cared about was you know, deep down inside, what's your conviction? Um, what do you feel like your purpose is? And so they've always been supportive. I think, again, the stereotypes, they, they ask, like, there aren't such thing as, like, male nurses. Like, are you sure you can do something <laughs> like that? But, um, again, that stereotype has completely changed, and you're seeing mm. a lot more men in the nursing field now. Yeah. But I was the only one in my class that graduated out of, no like, 60-plus students in my cohort. So... It was, wow. it was still for sure a stereotype or stigma for men to be in nursing. But yeah. once you're in the nursing field, uh, men play a huge role 
especially as patients get bigger, more obese, uh, you need the transfer lift help. Um, yeah, there are just so many ways where it's beneficial to have a male on them. Of course, yeah. What can a doctor do that a nurse can't? Yeah, so in the nursing model, uh, you are your plan of care is developed by a doctor. So, like anything nursing care related, it's going to be ordered by the doctor. Now. I worked as a nurse for like five plus years and now I'm a nurse practitioner. As a nurse practitioner, a lot of the roles that a doctor has, I have very similar roles. So I, I, even in my clinic, I'll see patients by myself. So I saw like 19 patients today and not once did I talk with my doctor. I diagnose the patient, I talk about the plan of care and I provide the treatment. What's the difference between, different between a nurse practitioner and a doctor is a nurse practitioner works under collaboration of the doctor. So I have a supervisor that oversees everything that I do, but I still do the diagnosing, do the treatment and follow up with the patients. And there are days where my doctor will not even be in the clinic and I take care of the clinic by myself. So there is a lot of autonomy as a nurse practitioner, which is also interchangeable with physician assistant. So they're Mm -hmm. very similar. Oh, makes sense. Because I remember one time I visited my doctor and I just saw this nurse. I'm like, you're a nurse. What do you... Because <laughs> me, in my head, it's like nurses, you know, care about you, give you the medication. That's all they do. But yeah. me, I'm stupid, you know? Exactly. I mean, I think the common knowledge of um, of people is that, oh, it's only a doctor that can see you. But healthcare has changed drastically. Uh, especially because of the physician shortage. And that's where physician assistants and nurse practitioners have really um, gained traction hmm. in providing care. Why do you think there's a lot of um, shortage on physician? Because if, if, even here where I'm from, Quebec, it's ridiculous. We don't have doctors here. Yeah, I think there's a lot of physician burnout. Uh, a lot of times physicians go into the career with the same kind of vision, purpose, really want to help people. But I think um, with all the politics, with insurance companies, uh, with administration, it's become more business perspective where doctors are forced to see more patients than they're comfortable with. They're forced to prescribe medications that they may not necessarily believe in. And again, with all the misinformation out there, you're seeing more and more people not trust the healthcare field because uh you're seeing like what is the i guess what is the actual i'm gonna say i don't want to say anything controversial but when it comes to big pharma like Mm. uh prescriptions like what's their agenda is it really to help take care of people or is it to just control the symptoms long enough where you have to be on a medication for your entire life so I think all the politics with healthcare, all the the amount of work that's being piled on physicians, it's just come to a point where no matter how much money you make, you're just not happy because mm. you feel like you're not making a difference in people's lives because all you're doing is maintaining their disease. And so you're not seeing good outcomes. You're seeing too many patients and you're being pressured by upper leadership to do things that you don't believe in. Yeah. You're like you're, you're saying about money, like, Money is number. Like, do you hit a comfortable amount of money? 
After that, you're good. You don't need anything else. How big, how much big a yacht do you want? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it just comes to a certain point where uh, money just doesn't buy happiness. Mm-hmm. What inspired you to be an orthopedic nurse? Um, so I started off in family medicine, which I actually loved because uh, you just have so much opportunity to build relationships with patients over the years. But again, I think the politics of family medicine uh, just really burnt me out as well and oh. got me to where you know, I just didn't really enjoy what I was doing. But naturally, because of my own injuries, musculoskeletal injuries, I've always had a passion for uh, sports medicine, orthopedics. That's naturally something that I'm heavily involved in because I like to exercise. I like to work out. And so it's just a natural fit for me. And it wasn't something that I like proactively looked for, but an opportunity came. And so I, I took it and I haven't looked back since. Mm-hmm. Do you work out every day? Yeah, I try, you know, I try to do like at least four or five times a week. Um, I need to do better with cardio, but yeah, I try to do strength training four to five times a week. My wife is actually uh, a lot more consistent than I am. <laughs> she never challenges you. No, she just, just by her daily commitment, that alone just challenges me. She never pushes me, but I'm like, oh my gosh, if she's working out, I need to work out. And so it's a good accountability. Mm, for sure. What are the common injuries that you take care of? I feel like knees are like the number one. Yeah. Um, so in my clinic, we see all the basic musculoskeletal, so arthritis, so I'll see a lot of knee arthritis, shoulder arthritis, hip arthritis. Uh, we see a lot of like injuries, so sprains, uh, like quad sprain, hamstring sprain, ankle sprains. Um, we do a lot of like steroid injections for the arthritic patients, uh, carpal tunnel where your hands go numb and they get tingly. Okay, carpal uh, tunnel, sorry for cutting you off. Like what causes carpal tunnel? Yeah, so there is a median nerve uh, you can see it's right at what we call the volar aspect of the wrist. Yeah. That nerve gets compressed oftentimes from like rep- over repetition, mm. overuse. So people who type a lot because they're bending their wrist or if you sleep with your wrist bent, that actually um, compresses that nerve. Okay. And over time, that irritation just gets to the point where um, that nerve is chronically compressed and you just get this numbness and tingling you start getting like a weak hand grip um so it's something that slowly progresses over time just from posture how you use it and some people even like high blood sugar so like diabetes um that chronic inflammation in the body can irritate the nerves over time Mm -hmm. do you handle a little bit of physical therapy too or it's a completely different yeah, so it's completely de- different department. Uh, I have <clears throat> nothing but respect for physical therapy because it's a very effective, conservative treatment. And so we work very closely with our physical therapists. Um, I'd say 60% of my patients I'll refer to physical therapy. And yeah. oftentimes, too, insurance companies would like to see patients do something conservative like physical therapy before you're able to be more aggressive with yeah. their treatment. Yeah, I, I love PT, man. I, I get injury all the time. I have injury now. I'm just like, whatever, <laughs> you know, getting old and stuff with knees. I play basketball a lot when yeah. I was younger, you know. I know you play basketball too. Ankle sprain, the oh, worst. Yeah. 
for sure. I actually, I have my kid just had a high ankle sprain. Uh, he played the uh, basketball. Some he played the tournament over the weekend, and one of the players fell on his uh, leg. Yeah, yeah. I so mean, that's the thing. Like, I don't play as much basketball anymore because everyone my age is now carrying <laughs> their Achilles and their ACL, and so I'm just very careful. Yeah, me too. I mean, you know, stretches. Don't don't do anything extra. Exactly. You know, once a week maybe. I haven't really played. I coach my kids basketball, so I don't really have yeah, time. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. In your opinion, what makes healthcare such a significant calling in life? So, for me, like um, talking to some elderly patients when I was on the nursing floor, uh, some of their biggest regrets because you know I'll ask them deep questions and a lot of these patients are on hospice or what we call comfort care and I'll try to pick their brain because they're much older than I am they live life longer and oftentimes a common theme I'll get from these elderly patients are don't take your health for granted um, because without health you can't enjoy life ultimately like for a lot of them, they suffered through chronic health diseases because of the choices they made. And so after retirement, instead of enjoying the end years of their life, they're just in and out of the hospital, a lot of complications with disease. And so the common theme really is, you know, I regret not taking care of my health because your health is everything. Like, even when it comes to your mental capabilities, like uh, you see a lot of Alzheimer's and dementia and a lot of these can be preventable just by how you live. And so if people could go back in their lives, you know, oftentimes what they say is they would have prioritized their health a lot more. And so the healthcare industry plays a huge factor. I mean, it has a huge influence. I think oftentimes in America, we're going the wrong way because we really prioritize specialties um, instead of primary care and primary prevention. And so everything is about money and what makes the most money by doing the most amount of procedures, by um, getting people sick enough where they have to have multiple hospital visits. So there really is no emphasis on primary prevention, which it's really sad because then healthcare is more of a business rather than trying to help people. Mm -hmm, for sure. Oh, this is what I want to ask you chiropractic is this science what is it like yeah so i think um it's very controversial um what i tell my patients is oftentimes if you have a personal relationship with a chiropractor that you you know personally know i, I think it's fine to get different manipulations and and to get like uh adjusted but the model of chiropractor tends to be you know keep following up so you can get adjusted but there's no teaching or there's no like training on how to get your body back into alignment and keep it there right it's all about keep coming back and so there's no education but physical therapy they can do the same thing they can adjust they can manipulate your body to bring it back to alignment but then they focus on the exercises at home and um, really keep that accountability so that you don't re-injure but you can prevent injuries in the future. And so that's kind of the main difference. Again, I think chiropractor, it's more business model. Like the more they can see you, the better off. But physical therapy really is the preventative factor. Yeah, I completely agree. I've been to both and I've been to a chiropractor and hey, don't get me wrong. When I'm there and he does the cracking, it feels so good when I, when I leave. But like you said, there's no end goal. 
Exactly. It's always like, oh, come back. I'm like, no, dude, I want to get better. Yeah. I want to get rid of this thing. And oftentimes they, um, they stretch their scope of practice. Like, uh, I think they practice more aggressively than they should based off their education. And so ultimately I think there's a lot of like, um, medical claims that they'll make, uh, that aren't backed by science and by research. And so I think it's just, again, are there good chiropractors out there? Absolutely. But I think there's a lot that are just really focused on, um, the money. And, yeah, a hundred percent. Like I, that's the first thing I've noticed when I went to physical therapist, I had the problem with my shoulder. Uh, I had a, a small rip and I went to a physical therapist and yeah, like he told me what happened and what to fix it. And it worked. And mm-hmm. then I had a sciatica, I went to a chiropractor and he just like cracked me and cracked me and cracked me like, yo, when is this going to end? I need to know, you know? Yeah. But nothing's happening. All right, all right. I got to go to physical therapist again. And yeah. yes, you are correct. There are some people, there are some chiropractors that are good. Mm-hmm. And somehow it works with some people. But I'm like, yo, I'm not going. If there's no end goal, I'm gone. Yeah. You know? You're a religious man and you're working in a scientific field. How do you reconcile science and religion? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I think ultimately, even when it comes to science, can it be biased? Absolutely. Um, I think when I work as a professional, I think there is a fine line, like I'm not going to cross and say, oh, like just trust in your faith and you'll be healed, you know, nothing like that. But, um, you know, I will tell patients what I personally believe helps with treatment and what doesn't um like if they want a certain medication if i have a strong belief that it really is not going to be effective then you know i will really share that um i'm not going to hide uh you know actual evidence of what helps and what doesn't and yeah again like with all the shadiness that goes on healthcare i'm not going to overbill i'm not going to write in my documentation that I did something that I actually did not. So I think when it comes to integrity, that's probably going to be the most important part with um, working as a healthcare professional in my faith. And again, when it comes to the science, I really just try to focus on what is the unbiased science say? So I, I don't want to go with like what the public says and you know, what big pharma pays research starts to do, but I just really try to focus on, okay, as a healthcare provider, with an unbiased opinion, I'm just going to try to give the best healthcare I can give. Mm. Have you heard about that guy, Dr. Joe Espenza? It sounds familiar, but I'm not sure. Yeah, he's like a chiropractor that healed himself, <sighs> just thinking positive. Yeah, I mean, right. so stuff like that, like radical stuff like that, you know, it's, it could have happened, absolutely. But, you know, I think it, it, it gives false hope you know claims like that so i i try to steer away from that kind of stuff me too i like i've met people that are like yo dude he's mind changing life changing i'm like okay how did he do this oh he's lying on his bed in the hospital and he just starts thinking about it. I'm like bro i've been thinking about a million dollars i still waiting for a million dollars you know what i'm saying i was like no i'm good with that by the way i love one thing I love about your Instagram account is like how you educate people 
mm-hmm. and you say, uh, like Lisa, you, like you said, unbiased health and science uh, opinions. Speaking of that, what's your opinion about rice? Because you know, Asians, we love rice. Yeah. Um, you know, I think anything in moderation can be included in a uh, healthy and balanced diet, right? I think the problem with Asians is when you look at your plate of food, the rice tends to be the um, majority of the plate or like the bigger portion of the plate. And it really needs to be opposite. Like your protein source should be more of the bigger portion, like your veggies, your fruit. But when it comes to grains, I think ultimately it also depends on your fitness level too. Because um, like runners or people who work out a lot, like the carbohydrates from the grains can be beneficial. But if you are more sedentary, as Asian people, we are more sensitive to blood sugar spikes than like an American would be. So gaining five pounds for an Asian is much more uh, detrimental to your health compared to an American who gains five pounds. So I think that's why you see a lot of diabetes even in America, in Asians, because we tend to eat too much rice. And if you're not exercising on top of that, I think that's difficult. Okay. I've heard of this, that Asians are more susceptible to uh, uh, diabetes. Is that because of our DNA or? Yeah, it's genetics. Um, the DNA of us, uh, Americans can handle a little bit more insulin uh, sensitivity. Whereas Asians, um, that's why, again, like, a five pound weight gain on Asians would be a highly more detrimental than an American person mm-hmm. gaining five weight pounds because of how it negatively affects our bodies. And again, uh, genetics, DNA all play a factor into that. So why would God give us the love for rice and <laughs> do that to us? <laughs> well, I mean, like, I think you see like the blue zones, like Okinawa, Japan, mm-hmm. um, they eat a portion of rice every single day. And so it's not, rice being the enemy but it's just uh what is the balance of food that you're eating because on top of the rice that asian americans are eating we're also eating a lot of processed foods we're drinking a lot of sugary drinks so i think it's just accumulation of everything so it's not rice is the enemy but it's it tends to be like just overall when you look at a snapshot of our diets it's just not healthy these days just don't overdo it Exactly. I think right. if you eat in moderation, like I love rice. Um, so do I avoid it? No. I mean, rice goes with everything, right? <laughs> uh, so I just make sure that I'm. it's not like the majority of my plate, but it's more like a side dish. That's why I treat it as. Speaking of Asian, the deep Asian squat, is this real? Like the kimchi squat? I don't know what you call it. Like, I guess it's, I call it deep Asian squat, you know, like. Oh when yeah, you... no, I mean, absolutely. I think uh, I, they call it the kimchi squat because when Asians make kimchi, they're really on like low level and to like mix the kimchi and all the ingredients together. But I can't do it. I, I, my ankles are very stiff. So I, I, <laughs> I do it all the time. Every morning, <laughs> every morning, I'm like, I got that. I got this one. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I envy anyone who can do it. Yeah. My hamstring are not the best, but yeah. kimchi, swat, <laughs> I got that one, you know? You're very focused on health and all this stuff, and you seems like a balanced human being. What's your opinion about this body positivity movement? 
Yeah, I think uh, so I think there's pros and cons, right? Um, I think even in the food industry, there's more and more people who are saying like, oh, you know, processed foods or sugary foods, they can be a part of a healthy diet and we should stop canceling people who eat that kind of stuff, which, you know, I, I love the message, but ultimately when it comes to health, it, it really is black and white. Ultimately, like body positive image, it's good thing. And, you know, we should embrace all body types, but what research shows us is the bigger you are, the more abdominal fat you have, the more sedentary you are, you know, health doesn't care about your body image or what you think about your body image. But if you are bigger, if you're obese, if you're sedentary, this is going to lead to disease. And so I think um, this movement can be dangerous because we're saying accept every body type. But ultimately, if you are overweight, you're at serious risk of disease. So I think it's not a, maybe mentally it could be a good movement, but physically these people are going to suffer if we support it. Yeah. Obviously there's a good thing. Like you said, there's a good part and a bad part about it. The good part is like giving people confidence. It's, it's a big thing, you know? Exactly. But, but to say like, I'm fat and I'm healthy. Yo, no. Yeah, I think that's where it's wrong. Um, I think we should never be judgmental. Like, I will never look at an obese person and be like, oh, why can't you lose weight? It's so easy to do because I think it's very difficult. And based off your genetics, based off of your background, like, you know, it can be much harder for someone else than me. And so I will never be judgmental, but I would never say like, oh, you're okay being this weight. But I would really lovingly try to encourage them and say, you know, I'm glad that you have a positive mindset about your weight, but I think you need to have this purpose of slowly trying to progress towards a better, healthier lifestyle because this is going to negatively affect you if you keep it up. 100%. Have you had a patient that is obese and has problem with, let's say, a knee or an ankle? And how do you approach that conversation? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think... Again, a lot of knee arthritis, hip arthritis, um, you lose one pound and that's like 10 pounds off your knees. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, it's, uh, so when I share like treatment options, you know, I always say in a non-judgmental and casual way, like, okay, here are the things that we can do, like the more active you are. Uh, and you know, every pound that you lose, it, it really does take a lot of force off your joints but I also include like, we can also do injections. We can also do physical therapy, you know, so I, I list everything that you can do. So I, I never say like, Oh, you need to lose weight. Like, um, <laughs> you have it, to start it, doing that. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's such a sensitive subject. And so, you know, I, I try to say it in a way where like, here are your options and here's the more natural, more conservative way. And here's the more aggressive way. But I do share with them that every pound they lose, it really is, that much less um, tension on the joints. Hmm. Can you say to a patient that you see that there's a problem with the knees or ankle or hands or whatever, can you diagnose and say like, yo, we need to cut your leg or whatever? Like amputation? Yeah. Um, it's rare, only like if they have an infection in their bone. 
Um, again, so a lot of diabetics, uh, they're more at risk for infection. And once the infection travels from the skin all the way deep into the bone, um, one of the treatments, if antibiotics don't work, you have to amputate because then they can travel further. And so do we see it? Yes. It, it's more rare. Um, some very bad complications of like knee replacement or hip replacement is you get an infection in the prosthesis and then it travels into the bone. And so to stop the infection, you have to amputate again, it's, it's more on the, um, rarer side, but if you have a lot of comorbidities like diabetes, you're obese, metabolic disease, uh, metabolic syndrome, all these things, right. It, it can cause, it can increase your risk that you would have some kind of infection like that. What's the worst case they've ever dealt with? Um, in, in orthopedics. Yeah. I, I've seen an amputation, um, a because of a bad infection. Um, there's also been like an infection that has spread into the bloodstream, what we call sepsis and oh. have died. Yeah. So it happens. It's rare, but it can definitely happen. Hmm. Have you heard about the meat, what do you call it? Uh, meat diet? Carnivore diet? That's it. Sorry. Carnivore uh, diet. Yeah. So for me, um, I don't like these restrictive diets like carnivore or ketogenic because it's not sustainable. One thing about the carnivore diet is you are missing out on a lot of nutrients, vitamins, minerals that you can get from fresh fruit and vegetables, right? And there's no fiber in the carnivore diet. And so oftentimes people are getting very constipated on this diet. So I tend to focus more on a well-balanced diet. So my go-to diet is the Mediterranean diet because it, it gives you, you know, you can eat meat in moderation. You have your fresh fruits or vegetables or whole grains, eating a lot of like omega-3 rich foods like fish. Um, so yeah, I don't like these restrictive diets because it's hard to sustain long-term. And we don't know based off of research, long-term effects of these kind of diets, uh, but to just eat meat all the time. Like it just doesn't sound like it can promote optimal health when uh, fruits and vegetables play a big role. Yeah, I'm like, like sounds cool, but I love meat, but I like rice on the side or a little bit of veggies or whatever, exactly. you know? Yeah, and I think if you look at the blue zones, like again, talking about Okinawa, Japan, um, their staple of their diet is eating a variety of foods, like multiple different types of foods daily. And the reason why is because you get um, different nutrients and different minerals and different vitamins from the variety of foods. So you're getting the benefits of all these different foods. And so that's why I don't think it's good or it's smart to be restrictive in your diet. Do you eat breakfast? I do. I mean, there are times where I'll intermittent fast um, just to keep my body on its toes. So like, you know, two or three times a week, I'll do like the 16, eight uh, intermittent fasting where I'll fast for 16 hours and then I'll eat in an eight hour time window. Um, but I don't do that daily. I just do it to just increase insulin sensitivity to help lower inflammation. But no, I love breakfast. If I eat breakfast, I'll, I'll do a high protein breakfast so that I can um, feel, uh, satiety throughout the day. Um, but yeah, I really try to emphasize, you know, staying away from like the sugary 
cereals, like donuts, bagels, and stuff like that. But you mean the good eat, stuff? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I think if you eat a high protein diet to start the day, that just really helps to keep you from having cravings throughout the day.、Mm-hmm. I don't eat breakfast. I drink coffee when I'm working out, and then I drink protein shake, and then. During through the day, I'll eat like vegetables and not vegetables,、uh, pr- fruits like banana, whatever. I heard that eating too much fruits is bad for you because of the sugar. Well, so the fruit sugar is different from like processed sugar, right? Because、um, you have natural fruit sugar, and your body is able to digest that a lot more optimally, and you're not going to have the crazy glucose spikes that you would. With like a donut sugar, right? Compared to fruit sugar. Now, some if you're diabetic and you have a tough time controlling your blood sugars, then there are different types of fruit that you want to be more careful with because some are more high sugar content, like grapes, and some tend to be more lower side, like the berries, so like blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, strawberries, and so. I think if that's a concern, you try air towards like eating more of the berries rather than like grapes. But no, fruit has a huge、um, part of a healthy and well balanced diet. But again, in moderation. Should you be eating a bunch of fruit like every hour of the day? No, I think it it still has to be like a side dish.、Mm-hmm. I I eat my banana, my blueberries, but. Yeah, I think I could eat a little bit less. I feel like I eat too much. Like, <laughs> but I mean, there are a lot of great antioxidants. Again, vitamins, minerals. You get your fiber, so it's a part of a well-balanced diet for sure.、Mm-hmm. You mentioned intermittent fasting. I don't really do that. It just comes with me during weekends. Like, I don't. I will eat like around maybe like eleven thirty, and then I won't eat till dinner. Does that amount to something, or? Yeah, I mean, I think any kind of fasting, what research shows is, it just really helps the body to、uh, heal, recover, reduce inflammation. Because、uh, oftentimes our culture, we tend to overeat and we eat too much. But like to go through periods of time where you're just not eating, it just helps your body to、um, almost kind of reboot itself.、Uh, so. Again, if you're, whether you're doing it purposely or not, I, I think just going several hours without eating can be beneficial for a lot of us. Now, again, for women, it's a little more controversial just because of it can really affect the hormones of women.、Um, so it's hard to fully recommend for women, but for men, it, it definitely can be beneficial.、Mm. How do you stay updated with this information? Do you read every day?、Uh, so. I think a lot of it is staying up to date with research. So I try to read as much as I can.、Um, through our work, we have a software company called Up to Date, and so it's a physician or a healthcare provider's guideline for the latest updates, latest research, and so it's all kind of pooled together in this one website that's only offered to healthcare providers. So that's that's helpful.、Um, But yeah, I just try to stay up to date as much as possible. Yeah, of course. You know, you don't want to be like talking about. You know, smoking is good for you. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like you're old school. You know, exactly. Universal healthcare in the U.S. 
do you think that's gonna ever happen or no? Well, I think it's something that even Barack Obama with uh, Obamacare has been slowly trying to implement where everyone is kind of forced to have some kind of health care. Um, I don't know. I, I just think here in America, we have a lot of flaws in our healthcare system. I think uh, in Europe, what you see is even when it comes to how much providers get paid, I believe primary care actually gets paid the most and then specialties get paid less, but it's complete opposite here. It's uh, specialties get paid the most and then primary care gets paid less. And so I, I don't know. I think it also depends on who becomes president uh, and the agenda with that. But at the end of the day, it's like whether you have healthcare or not, it's a freedom of choice as well. And so it, I don't think it can be forced upon anybody, but I, I, I do believe the majority of people would want some kind of access to care because there are many who don't have any kind of access to healthcare. Of course. You're a busy man. How do you balance your life with all this work and church and all that stuff? I think it's about being disciplined. Um, I think a lot of times it's easy to just be lazy and scroll through social media or like binge watch on TV. And so it's just about waking up with a sense of purpose, having a schedule and trying to stay committed to it. It doesn't mean like I don't have fun, right? Um, it's just a matter of like when I'm working, I 100% try to work. When I'm resting, I try to 100% rest. When I'm trying to have some time off and enjoy myself, I try to do that 100%. So it's just every time I'm doing something, trying to stay focused on that. Um, but yeah, I think waking up early and sleeping early is also helpful too, just to make sure that I have enough energy to do everything that I need to. How many hours do you sleep a night? I try to get seven to eight. I, I think sleep is a high priority just because of the research. Like if you're not sleep, you can do everything right, but if you're not sleeping well, you're just canceling everything out. And so I really try to live out what I preach. Um, and everything I say on social media is things that I believe are very important if you want optimal health. Of course. Do you journal? No. One reason why my handwriting is so bad and uh, like typing out things, I, I think if something inspires me or, you know, something really speaks to me, I'll type it in my notes on my phone. Uh, and I'll look back at it, but no, nah, I don't really journal. I think it's great though. I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of good research on journaling, but yeah, I just don't. I did that last year. I lasted like, I know, you know what I did. All right. It's just, like I got sick and then I just lost momentum, you know? Yeah, it's hard. It, it's hard to build healthy habits over time for sure. Yeah. I, but I was doing it right every night, every night I do it, you know, mm -hmm. it's, and it's like a five minute journal thing, bap, 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 get it done. And then I got sick. I'm like, screw this. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and then I lost momentum and I, I'm like, you know what? End of the year. Fine. Cause I usually make like 10 goals every year Yeah. and I'll just follow that. And I'll grade myself every month. Yeah. How am I doing? You know, yeah. 2023 wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> I got sick a lot. Yeah. I was like, ah, man, that sucks. But whatever, you know. 
You said handwriting. Why are doctors' handwriting are horrible? Uh, I have no idea. I think we're just always in a rush, and so we can't take the time to actually write out everything. I also blame it because I'm left-handed, and so <laughs> when I write with the pen, it just smears. Um, yeah, my handwriting is just awful, though. <laughs> You're left-handed? The hand of the yeah. devil. You write like the I devil. I know. It's, I eat with my right hand. I, eat, I, I write with my left. So Really? That's cool, man. Yeah. I saw that you're a founder of CU Wellness Program. What is that? Yeah, so that was, um, so me and a physical therapist, we actually started a health wellness program here in Champaign um, through his um, physical therapy center where we incorporate both exercise under physical therapy supervision and uh, nutrition and diet um, under supervision of me and one of my nurse practitioner partners. Uh, so it's something that we don't do anymore. It lasted for a few years and then he moved to Chicago and we slowly eased out of it. But it was just a community wellness program that we did to see if the supervision of diet and exercise together, like what that can do for people's health. And, you know, it did bring a lot of change. Like these people's blood work, you see a lot of their cholesterol levels go down. You see their blood pressure go down. They're more active. Um, Cause oftentimes people want to exercise, but they don't have the means or they don't have the education on how to do it in a safe way. And so having the assistance of a physical therapist, just to watch your form when you exercise and when you work out um, was very beneficial than just knowing what you're supposed to eat and what you're not supposed to eat. So having that coaching uh, just helped benefit these patients. Mm -hmm. You've achieved so much. Do you still have goals? Yeah, I think ultimately at the end of the day, again, I like to study the blue zones and a lot of these people who live to be past 100 years old, uh, they never stop working in their lives, right? I think what happens a lot of times in retirement, people lose passion and lose purpose. And so I think for me, I'm always trying to be what's called like 1% better, right? So it, it's all about progression. It's all about being a little better than you were the day before. And I think that's what keeps your brain active. And that's what keeps you going, gives you energy, gives you a sense of purpose. And so I never want to remain stagnant where I'm like, okay, I'm pleased with where I am. Because you, the moment you do that, you start losing purpose and you start losing vision in your life. And so I think for me, like I'm not seeking perfection, but I'm always looking for how can I progress? How can I be better? Whether it's be a better nurse practitioner, healthcare provider, be a better dad, be a better husband, be a better um, you know, son of God. And so I'm just looking always for ways where I can improve. Yeah, 100%. John, I think we're there. I really appreciate your time. But before we close out, do you have any last remarks or anything you'd like to say? Uh. You know, I think for me, I will say even like when it came to social media stuff, you know, I started it as a joke, but I think everyone does have a voice and there are always people who are wanting to hear like a fresh, authentic voice out there. And so, you know, if you're passionate about something, you know, put yourself out there, have a vision and purpose for yourself. And I believe um, just by faithfully doing it on a day-to-day -day basis, like you're going to see fruit. And so if anyone's discouraged or everyone, anyone feels purposeless, just, you know, dig deep, be, find out what you're passionate about and what you want to do and, you know, go for it because again, there's so much opportunity out there. It's just 
putting yourself out there and being disciplined to go and get it. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Again, John, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Have a good night. All right. Have a good night. Thank you. Bye. Again, John, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.